be Ruth too. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain, after him in whose sight I shall find favour. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She's the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field, or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping, and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favour in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favour in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed her roasted grain, and she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she roasted glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean, even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her, and also pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. She took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today and where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, 
gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests. And she lived with her mother-in-law. This is the word of the Lord. I'd be grateful if you could keep those pages open so we can all continue looking at those verses during the sermon. Let's bow our heads now and pray for God's help. The writer of Psalm 43 cries out to God, Send forth your light and your truth. Let them guide me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. Father, we pray that you would send forth your light and your truth among us this morning. Please would they bring us nearer to you. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, I'd like to start by picking out one line from that rather long passage. It's the second half of verse 12, which says, The God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. The God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Those words were spoken more than 3,000 years ago by an Israelite man to a Moabite woman. The woman, whose name is Ruth, has arrived in Israel determined to worship Israel's God. Your God will be my God, she said to her Israelite mother-in-law in last week's chapter, chapter 1. That's why the Israelite man, whose name is Boaz, says Ruth has taken refuge under the wings of the God of Israel. She's put herself under the protection of Israel's God. The language used by the man, that picture of sheltering wings, brings to mind a hen sheltering its young chicks. In the New Testament, Jesus uses the same picture when he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But wings of refuge has another layer of meaning. It brings to mind a second picture. In Old Testament times, the holiest object in Israel was a large wooden box overlaid with gold called the Ark. The Ark was kept in the most holy place, a special room inside God's tabernacle that only the high priest could enter. On the annual Day of Atonement, the high priest would go into the most holy place and he would approach the ark. He would sprinkle blood, the blood of a sacrificed animal, onto the ark's golden lid. What has all of that got to do with wings of refuge? Well, the ark had wings. The ark's lid had a gold angel at each end. They were called the cherubim. And their wings stretched out. Each cherub's wings stretched out towards the other's wings. And their wings stretched out across the cover of the ark. We know from Exodus chapter 25 that whenever God spoke to Moses, he spoke to him from between those two cherubim. When God spoke to Moses in the tabernacle, it would be God speaking to Moses from between those two 
golden angels on the lid of the ark. And let's not forget what happened under those wings. Sprinkled blood, atonement for sin, which restored God's relationship with his people. On the day of atonement, sacrificial blood was sprinkled under the wings of the cherubim onto the cover of the ark. That annual blood sprinkling was the high point of the entire sacrificial system. So when Boaz talks to Ruth about taking refuge under God's wings, his words spring to mind first, a chick sheltering under its mother's wings, and second, the blood sprinkled under the wings of the cherubim. The two pictures are connected because human beings have no right to come near to God looking to him to protect us and meet our needs. We have no right to do that unless something has been done about our sin. Ruth can only come near to the God of Israel because he offers forgiveness through atoning blood. In Ruth chapter 2, we find out what sheltering beneath God's wings looks like in daily life. Ruth chapter 2 is a slice of life chapter. It's one day in the life of three people in Israel, Ruth, Boaz, and Naomi. They're all sheltering beneath God's wings. And Ruth chapter 2 shows us what that looks like on an ordinary day. We learn from this chapter what trusting in God looks like in the sweat and thirst of daily life. Let's begin with Ruth. There are three features of Ruth's situation that we should keep in mind. First, she's not an Israelite. The writer of the book of Ruth will not let us forget that. Verse 2 says, Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi. We already know she's a Moabite. We know that from chapter 1. But the writer chooses to remind us then in verse 6, Boaz's servant highlights Ruth's foreignness twice in one sentence. He says, she's the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. And then in verse 21, just in case we might have forgotten, the author again describes Ruth as Ruth the Moabite. We're meant to get the message. Ruth's ethnicity is a big deal. It's something everyone would have been aware of. It's something she herself would have been highly aware of. Imagine being the only African-American in an advertising company or an architecture firm in New York in the mid-1960s. Imagine the sense of sticking out, not fitting in, that would go with that every day of the week. That's what Ruth is experiencing. Can God's wings of refuge cope with that? Is that something God can help her with? There's something else we need to know about Ruth. She's very poor. In verse 2 she says to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean. Gleaners trail behind the harvesters in the hope of finding leftover stalks of grain. That is hard, slow work. And it's also low status work. The closest thing we've got to gleaning in Manhattan is bottle and can collecting. I'm sure you've seen people with trolleys or bags packed with empty water bottles 
and soda cans. They pick them out of smelly trash cans and trash bags and then take them to a redemption center where they receive five cents for every bottle or can. It's the kind of work someone does as a last resort. It's modern day gleaning. So when Ruth says in verse 2, let me go to the field and glean, she's revealing her poverty. And when you factor in the danger of gleaning as a vulnerable young woman, it's no exaggeration to say that Ruth is destitute and desperate. Can God's wings of refuge cope with that? There's one more factor adding to Ruth's difficulties. Her only companion in the world is Naomi. And judging by chapters 1 and 2, Naomi is not at this time a thoughtful or caring or appreciative person to live with. Almost certainly that's because of Ruth's, of Naomi's grief and distress. Her husband and both her sons have died. She can't see through the fog of grief. In chapter 1, Naomi says to the women of Bethlehem, I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. That's not entirely true. She has Ruth. Ruth is standing beside her. But Naomi's grief stops her seeing Ruth properly. The Lord has brought me back empty, she says, giving the impression with Ruth standing next to her that Ruth adds nothing to her life. On top of that, when Ruth asks Naomi permission to go and glean, Naomi sends her off without giving any thought to the question of where Ruth should go. In verse 19, at the end of the day, she asks Ruth, where did you glean today? Ruth says she gleaned in Boaz's field. And then we find out that Naomi knows Boaz, and he's one of her close relatives. So why didn't Naomi steer Ruth to Boaz's field in the first place? Gleaning was dangerous for someone like Ruth. In verse 9, Boaz tells Ruth that he's warned his young men not to touch her, which is the kind of thing you only say if aggressive, unwelcome touching is common practice. In verse 22, Naomi underlines that point. She says to Ruth, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. Naomi knows Ruth will be much safer in fields belonging to her relative Boaz. So, Why didn't she think to say that to Ruth in the morning? She let Ruth go out of the door without giving her any advice. And so this is a third difficulty in Ruth's situation. She's a Moabite among Israelites. She's desperately poor. And in addition to those things, her only companion in the world isn't being very companionable. Ruth has none of the props that human beings typically lean on. Is there anything the God of Israel can do with a situation like hers? What do his wings of refuge offer to the Ruths of this world? Well, by the end of the day, Ruth has two things she didn't have at the start of it. Food and fellowship. And as we'll see, the God of Israel stands behind both of those very welcome developments. Let's look at food first. Food matters so much if you don't have it, if you don't know where your next meal is coming from. And the writer of the book of Ruth wants us to know that Ruth has an excellent day food-wise. Let's look down, please, to verse 14. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers 
and he passed to her the roasted grain, and she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. The writer lingers on those details, rather like someone taking an Instagram photo of their meal, because this satisfying meal is such a win for Ruth. Then in verse 17, we're told the amount of barley Ruth has managed to glean by the end of the day. So she gleaned in the field until evening, then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. According to Bible scholars, an ephah of barley would have weighed 30 pounds. So if you picture six five-pound packs of flour on your kitchen countertop, one, two, three, four, five, six, five-pound sacks of flour... That's how much barley Ruth carried home after her gleaning. It's a heavy load for Ruth to carry home, but it's a satisfying kind of heavy. When she shows it to Naomi, we can tell Naomi's eyes pop out of her head because of what she says in verse 19. Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. The bakers among us, will have already figured out that 30 pounds of barley grain would yield more than 30 large loaves of bread, 1.5 pound loads of, loaves of bread, because, of course, you have to mix water to the flour to make dough, and the water adds to the weight. Well, 30 to 40 large loaves could feed two destitute women for a month. And that's from just one day's gleaning, gleaning with more days to come. We mustn't overlook God's contribution to Ruth's great day of gleaning. It was God who made sure that gleaning was included in Israel's laws. So the neediest people would always have that safety net. In Leviticus 19, God commands farmers not to be ruthlessly efficient in their harvesting. He tells the farmers, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. God wanted leftovers available so that people such as Ruth would be able to gather them up. Without God's gleaning law, Ruth wouldn't have gone home with that big sack of grain. And that's not the only way in which God contributed to Ruth's successful gleaning. Verse 3 says, So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz who was of the clan of Elimelech. Elimelech, you might remember from chapter 1, was Naomi's late husband, Ruth's late father-in-law. So Ruth happened to come to the very best place in the whole of Bethlehem for her to glean. It's what Christians sometimes call a God incidence. It looks like a coincidence, but it's God who made it happen. God led Ruth to the most suitable place, for her to glean. The Bible is showing us that the God of Israel is more than able to care for those who trust in him. Even someone in Ruth's situation, his wings of refuge can cope. God gets the glory for Ruth's gleaning, but she certainly played her part. Her industriousness is impossible to ignore. It's a big feature of this chapter. No doubt Ruth has been praying to God to provide food for her and Naomi 
but she must have understood that God could use her own activity to answer her own prayer. I wonder if that's something you've grasped. Prayer is compatible with human activity. If you've been asking God for something without doing your part in making that something happen, maybe God wants you to roll up your sleeves and take action. That's not always true of unanswered prayer, but sometimes it is. And in those cases, let Ruth be your inspiration. Now, Ruth comes home with more than food alone. She comes home with a full heart because she's enjoyed true fellowship with another believer. Look down with me, please, to verses 12 and 13. Boaz speaks first and then Ruth. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favour in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. A more literal translation of Ruth's words in the middle of verse 13 would be, You have comforted me and spoken to the heart of your servant. Those words in verse 13 reveal Ruth's inner life. What Boaz said about God's wings of refuge went straight to her heart. So this is a day of food and fellowship for Ruth. And we're meant to conclude that if Ruth can receive these things from God's wings of refuge, we can receive them too. The Bible doesn't give God's people a cast iron guarantee of food on the table, but it does teach us to look expectantly to God for food and other necessities, confident that he can provide them. Think of the Lord's Prayer. Give us today our daily bread. And the same is true of fellowship. God cares for his people by bringing us together for mutual encouragement. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 25 says, Let us not give up meeting together, but let us encourage one another. God ensures that will happen through the weekly gathering of the local church. We should come to church each Sunday with high hopes that we'll be encouraged spiritually by our fellow believers just as Ruth was encouraged by Boaz. The weekly Sunday service should be a fixture in our calendars. And if Good Shepherd does have to come to an end, Ruth chapter 2 teaches us that we can each of us look confidently to God to provide us with fellowship from another source another local church. Food and fellowship shouldn't be looked down on or taken for granted. They're precious gifts from God to those who seek refuge under his wings. Let's turn from Ruth to Boaz. What does it mean for Boaz to find refuge under God's wings? Boaz demonstrates that life beneath God's wings isn't just about receiving, it's also about giving. Boaz is remarkably other person-centered. Every single thing that he says in this chapter is other person-centered. Focused on other people, seeking to meet their needs. That's the way Boaz sees the world. That's 
how he rolls. I'll run quickly through all his speeches in the chapter, starting with verse 4, where he says, The Lord be with you. It's a blessing, a short prayer, pointing his reapers to their heavenly helper. Boaz is keeping the God of Israel on everyone's agenda at a time in Israel's history, the time of the judges, when people too often gave in to the temptation to worship other gods. Boaz doesn't want that to happen. Then in verse 5, Boaz notices Ruth, a woman he doesn't recognize. He says, whose young woman is this? Other people could easily overlook a woman such as Ruth, but Boaz pays attention to people. In verses 8 and 9, he gives Ruth careful instructions. He guarantees her personal safety, and he tells her to drink from the vessels full of water drawn by his men. He wants things to go well for Ruth, down to the small details of giving her permission to drink from those vessels intended for his own servants. Then in verses 11 and 12, he gives Ruth rich spiritual encouragement, as we've already seen. In verse 14, he encourages Ruth to eat some roasted grain, And in verses 15 and 16, he tells his young men to make it easy for her to glean plenty of barley. Everything he says throughout the whole chapter is other person-centered. It's as if Boaz operates as an extension of God's wings, even while he himself finds refuge under those same wings. Boaz isn't a one-off. There are many parallels to Boaz in the pages of the Bible, both men and women. God cares for his people so often through his people. God cares for his people through his people. That's a biblical pattern. God cares for his people by graciously using people such as Boaz as his instruments of mercy. Boaz has caught that vision. He seems to welcome every opportunity he has to serve someone else to the glory of God. Could it be time for you to catch that same vision? Perhaps you've shared that vision for serving others in the past, but it needs renewing. Let Boaz renew your vision for acting as God's instrument to help others, an extension of God's wings. We should note that Boaz serves as God's instrument while carrying out his regular daily responsibilities. It's been said that everyone wants to save the world, but no one wants to do the dishes. That's not how it is with Boaz. He's fulfilling his regular duties. It's his field. It needs reaping. But while carrying out his God-given duties, he takes opportunities to serve the people around him. The third person who features prominently in this chapter is Naomi, and it's fascinating to turn to her and consider her experience of finding refuge under God's wings, because whereas Ruth and Boaz are exceptional people, outstanding servants of God, Naomi is rather the opposite. We've seen how she said to the people of Bethlehem that she was returning empty, as if Ruth, the woman by her side, didn't exist We've seen her thoughtless failure to direct Ruth to Boaz's field when Ruth went out to glean. It also seems reasonable to say that Naomi could surely have gone out with Ruth, even if she left the gleaning to Ruth, the younger woman. Surely Naomi could have gone with her to give some protection and oversight, but she stays at home. A Bible commentator named Ian Duggard suggests that Naomi 
may have sunk into depression and despair. And he goes on to say this, when we stop believing in God's goodness and give ourselves over to doubt and worry, we easily sink into a despairing inactivity. This can lead to a downward spiral in which our inactivity makes our situation worse and deepens our despair, which in turn makes us feel less inclined than ever to step out into what we believe to be a hostile world. The key to breaking that cycle is grasping hold of God's covenant commitment to do us good. The key to breaking that cycle is grasping hold of God's covenant commitment to do us good. And that is exactly what Naomi does. She breaks out of the cycle. Look at what she says in verse 20. When she hears from Ruth that the man Ruth was working with was Boaz. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. It's as if Naomi has been in a black and white movie that suddenly becomes full of colour. It's as if the car battery of her life hasn't been functioning, but now the jumper cables have been applied, and suddenly the battery is working, and the engine is up and running. At last, Naomi has eyes to see God's kindness towards his people, God's for usness. It's been there all along. God is always kind towards his people, but Naomi didn't have eyes to see it until Ruth came home with a 30-pound sack of grain and her news about Boaz. There's a detail at the end of verse 20 that we shouldn't overlook. Naomi says, this man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. We all know, I think, that if you fall on hard times, knocking on the door of a close relative to ask for help might be your best bet. That's true in most cultures, but in ancient Israel, the principle of helping your close relatives was actually written into the law. And there was a technical term in the law for the relative who comes to the aid of another relative. Redeemer. Redeemer. Naomi sees Boaz as a potential redeemer, someone who could provide long-term support to her and Ruth. It's not a done deal at this stage, but it's on the table as a possibility. And Naomi takes this as evidence of God's kindness. Naomi's spiritual progress on this single day is plain to see. She came beneath God's wings with low expectations, burdened by grief and sorrow. But she came beneath God's wings. She came back to Israel. And the God of Israel has not failed her. Speaking personally, I've had Naomi times in my life. I haven't had the hard knocks, the very hard knocks that she suffered, but I can think of times when I've been the Christian letting other Christians down while Ruth's and Boaz's around me have picked up the pieces. So it makes me very happy to see that Naomi has a place in God's community just as Ruth and Boaz do. She's also there under his wings. Naomi doesn't seem to be a Ruth or a Boaz. They're spiritual giants at this point in time. She is not. But she too has a place among God's people. He loves her. He shows her kindness. He helps her to grow spiritually. 
how good it is to see that Nehemi has a place under God's wings. We've seen the power of that word redeemer to brighten Naomi's life. She knew that certain family members could redeem a family member who had got into trouble. That word redeemer should be even more meaningful to us in our period of salvation history because in Jesus Christ, we have a divine redeemer. In the words of Titus 2 verses 13 and 14, Jesus Christ gave himself for us to redeem us. Jesus Christ gave himself for us to redeem us. Coming to the aid of a loved one in trouble is often a costly process, and that idea of price paying is actually built into the meaning of redemption. In Jesus' case, the price he had to pay to redeem his loved ones was his own lifeblood shed on the cross. That was where he took the punishment we deserve for our wrongful behaviour in God's sight. Jesus paid the price with his own blood. Earlier we were thinking about the wings of the cherubim in the most holy place and the atoning blood that was sprinkled there once a year. Access to God's wings of refuge has always required blood. It's only because of the precious blood shed by Jesus, our Redeemer, that we can come beneath God's wings. Ruth, Boaz and Naomi give us three very different test cases of what it's like to find refuge beneath the wings of God. Whichever of those three you personally identify with, there are verses here in Ruth chapter 2 for you to meditate on and chew over and take to heart. Whether you're currently more of a Ruth or a Boaz or a Naomi, there is light for you to live by here in this chapter. And if there's anyone here today or listening to this sermon, perhaps online, who hasn't yet come beneath God's wings, can I ask you, what is holding you back? He wants to care for you in this life. He wants to save you from his own anger so that he can care for you in the next life. He wants you to place yourself under his care. Please do that. Why don't you do that even today? Let's all bow our heads to pray. Father, we thank you for the blood shed by your son Jesus at the cross so that we could have access to you and come beneath your wings and enjoy all the good things you offer. Help us by your Spirit to come confidently to you for grace to help us in our time of need. Amen.